0: on our marketing pieces it's very very important like if you if you're changing some variable in your marketing piece you want to be able to track you know where that lead is coming from or what triggered them to call you know what the specific list they were on what the specific marketing piece so we would use a dedicated number which you know we do recently like we would have a dedicated number for let's say direct mail if i'm mailing to vacant houses
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Sharad Mehta, and today we're learning about a number of things in his business. We learn about how he turned flipping 40 to 50 houses a year into a passive business, where he spends one hour a week on that business. Really incredible. We learn how that works, what happened throughout the course of his flipping business to get him from a a more active role into now this very, very passive role in the business where he's just high up, just making that money, making sure things happen, really interesting. You also learn about how he started his software company and why and how that kind of all the genesis all happened. And then you're going to get, you're gonna learn his formula for building a flipping business in a new market. And you're gonna learn why that's important, right? He's in one market and we learn about what if he had to start over in a new market, start from nothing, what would he do? So for you out there, if you want to become someone who flips real estate in a spending one hour a week on it, you get the formula to how to get started on that, how to make that happen. We had a great conversation. Sherrod and I were on the Zoom for literally over two hours. Don't worry, this is not a two hour long recording, but trust me, he has well more than two hours of interesting Uh, things to say. It's a fantastic conversation and you're going to get so much information about building a successful passive flipping business uh, out of this conversation. That's very important because from my observation, knowing a lot of flippers, most of them don't really show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple podcast five stars. If you don't mind, I appreciate that so much because that helps other people learn about the show that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And, uh, you know, I'm always honest with you guys helps me feel good because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the wall street casino along with us. Ultimately, that's what this is all about. This is all about helping you take control of your wealth and get it into real estate. If that's what you want to do. It's what we're here for. If you haven't done so yet, no matter what podcast app you use, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest is Sharad Netta. Today, we're learning about how he built his one-hour-per-week flipping business where he flips 40 to 50 houses a year. Really incredible. And we learn about what he would do if he had to start over in another market. And that is a formula for you, my friend. That's the formula for you to get started in flipping if that's what you want to do. So without any further ado, here we go with Sherrod Mehta. Sherrod, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me on the short game. I appreciate it, Matt.
1: Well, for our listeners out there who've tuned in before, I break the fourth wall on this show all the time. You and I have been talking here for about an hour and 20 minutes and figured we had I to know. get something recorded here. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I know this. This is the podcast supposed to be over like what an hour ago or like half hour ago. And we like, then we got into some really good discussions. I appreciate it, man. We have a I lot of I wasn't in expecting content. that. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that, but I would really, really enjoyed it. The podcast yeah. is a bonus
1: now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, For our (laughs) listeners out there who don't know about you and what you do, I mean, I know all about it now, right? But for those out there who don't know know you know
0: You know a little bit too much now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us about yourself and your business? And then we're going to break into, you know, at least first the the flipping side of things. Cool. So
0: I live uh, right outside of Toronto, Canada in Oakville, a suburb of 30 minutes outside of Toronto. I moved here last year in March, 2020 and uh, I started my real estate investing in 2010 by buying buy and hold properties rental properties and then I I bought a few properties and then 2012 around 2012 I started selling some properties to overseas investors mostly Australian investors because the Australian dollar was very strong at that point so there's a lot of people p- invested from Australia looking to buy properties in the US you know for rate of return prices were low and also you know, they were hedging, uh, you know, uh, they were betting that the Australian dollar eventually was going to come lower so they could, you know, benefit on that. So that and then from there, I started doing lot of fix and flip, selling uh, properties to out of state investors, turnkey properties, you know, your retail fix and flip. Uh, and then from there, I started a property management company. This was while I was living in Chicago. So I invest in Northwest Indiana. So for anybody that's not familiar, it's, it's practically a suburb of Chicago, but it's in Indiana, like 30, 45 minutes outside of Chicago. Uh, and then I moved to San Diego in 2015. And that's where I started my software company, Simply, just mostly initially to manage my own business with everything I have going on. I wanted everybody in my team to be on one software, be able to track all the data and everything going on. Uh, so then, you know, Simply has grown to what it is now. But, You know, at at this moment, you know, I own recently my software company. I have a fix and flip business. We do about 40, 50 50 flips a year. I own a property management company. We manage about 160 units and I own about uh, 75 units of my own um,
1: uh, rental properties. Awesome! And for your flips, how many are you flipping a year now?
0: About 40, 50 a year. Uh, I'd say 50% of those would be your retail flip, you know, uh, buying it and then rehabbing and putting it on the market for a homeowner to buy, I'd say the 50% would be selling to other investors as an investment property. So we have investors from all over the country that we sell properties to. So it's 50-50. Awesome.
1: And how much time do you spend, would you say on each one of those flips so like in terms of uh, uh, Me personally? Sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, so if I spend more than hour, hour and a half, a week in my flipping business, that means something somewhere is going really, really bad. So so we've really automated that part of the business. So again, it's like really more than an hour and a half that something has gone wrong somewhere.
1: So that really strikes me. I I figure it probably took you um, a while to get to that point. But something I've observed is I've I've never been a flipper myself, but I know a lot of flippers. Something I observed is most of them spend significantly more time than that on far fewer (laughs) flips. Right. Right.
0: I think part of that, it was, uh, you know, when I moved from uh, Chicago to San Diego, so I, I, you know, I've I've, I've been investing since 2010. So in August 2015, I moved from Chicago to San Diego. So I still had this very active business. Um, I think one good thing that happened that I wasn't expecting was, so previously what would happen is, uh, let's say if I was living in Chicago and my plumber called me, you know, for one of my flips in Indiana, one of my other properties and said, hey, there's a leak. And I would tell him, OK, you know, give me some time. I'll be there or, you know, I'll meet you there in an hour. Or I'll meet you there tomorrow. So once I moved to San Diego, that was not an option. I couldn't say, hey, you know, give me a minute. You know, I'll be on a flight and I'll see you in like a day, you know, for $100 a $100 league. So I think I was forced to kind of adopt to technology very, very fast. So now once I moved there, the conversation shifted to, uh, you know, he would say the same thing. Hey, there's a leak. I'm like, okay, just how about you uh, make a video and send me on WhatsApp? Or how about you call me on FaceTime? let like, just look at it. Just walk me through the video. Same result. And it just saved me a lot of time. So we started automating, you know, those processes. We started like, you know, making process around all of those things. And then we hired somebody on our team. So, uh, so now we do 40, 50 clips a year. My project manager actually lives in California and she hasn't been to Indiana. And I think she's been to Indiana. uh, She's been with me for five years. She's been to Indiana, I think, no more than two or three times. So she's managing (laughs) entire operations from California. So imagine that. And I've I've been in Canada since March of 2020. I haven't been back to the U.S. since I moved there. And then it hasn't affected our business in any way. It's actually been a good thing that I'm out of it. You know, because then I'm forced to look at a very high level thing. And I don't think it would have happened if I were actually living in Chicago, because then I would feel like, hey, I live in Chicago. I live like 30, 40 minutes from my property. So I have to go look at, you know, what my plumber is saying. So once you are forced to be in a position, you know, that hey, like maybe that, that might be something that some local investors might want to try is, okay. Like this one week, I'm gonna just try to stay away and not go to one of my properties and see how I can manage those things, you know, and see how that works.
1: So that that's an interesting point I wanted to get to here is is so you started in 2010, it's 2015 that you moved, and there was a right. probably snowball as you're doing more and more deals per year, right? I guess is there a point at which you think it would have been maybe too early? in the business to try to step back and turn it into you know turn it into more um, processes systems that kind of thing like until you kind of got to know it and then like how would you start to dip your toe in that water like how do you get going on
0: that oh i mean i i I think knowing what i know now i would have started earlier i would have started while i was still in chicago to start i mean I, i was still doing you know better job than i would say an average investor like you know, one big influence, uh, you know, it's like some books that you read in your life that you don't think they would have a big impact, but then you start doing certain things. and am like, Hey, I wonder why am I doing this? And then you go, Oh yeah, it's because I read that book. So one of the books that I read was the E-Myth. I don't know if you've read uh, it. Uh, yes. That's yes. Amazing, amazing books. So I read that book. It was a really amazing book. So, and I started implementing some of those things, like simple things, like, you know, we made a list of all the SKUs that we would use in our business. Right. So, Initially, when I used to flip houses, for me, it's it just almost, uh, you know, I, I felt the need to make every single of our flips look like Mahal, or you know, it has to be look like a million dollar house, but that's not very scalable. You know, what's scalable is you have like five or six set of finishes that you have, right? And then you rotate between different houses, you know, you, you because you're doing all these houses, but nobody else is doing, you know like your buyers, they don't know that all your houses look the same Or you rotate between five. Like, for example, I'll give you an example. Like I, I wear the same T-shirt every day. I mean, not <laughs> the exact same, but I have, I have like, like like 10 of these T-shirts. So I wear the same one. So I get up in the morning. I don't have to think about it. I just put this on and that's it. Like the thing is, let's say if I didn't tell you this, right, and we met a year from now, you saw each other. If I asked, hey, what was I wearing? You would have no idea. I'm like, I don't know, you know, yeah and so that's like because you are going through that you tend to like internalize it. you think too much about it but other people don't care you know it's the same thing with the finishes you might think that oh i'm using the same product that i use in my last house but somebody else doesn't care about it so i think that book was a big influence on just like kind of start thinking about it and uh, so i started you know putting together some spreadsheets that you know we would say okay hey if plumber or electrician if you ever need to change a fan change your toilet this is Q number. Don't even ask me. You know, this is our fixed labor cost. Just go and do that. So once I moved away from California, I mean, away from Chicago to Calif- then I was just forced to just, you know, like expedite like pretty much every other process that I had in my business, which was, which was amazing. I mean, then in hindsight, I wish I'd done that sooner. I would have scaled my business even more, but then it's hard, you know, sometimes you unless you step away from it and you look at it from a very high level, like 50,000 feet view, then you don't, you don't get that, you know, same. Uh, you don't look at your business the same way. Do that, that means it's a good SOP for us.
1: Interesting. Okay. So for I wanted to make sure we touch on, for our listeners who haven't read the e-myth, I mean, I want to make sure we really kind of drill down to, say, the main lesson that you got from that book. You've given us a few awesome examples of ways in which you, you know, implemented those lessons. But um, I guess the the principle, I suppose, that you got out of that book. Um, what would you say? I just want to make sure we hit it. I
0: would that. say like start documenting things in your business, you know, even if you feel like you don't have time for it. I, I want to say like you should look at it that like you don't have time not to do that. You cannot afford not to do that. I, I think just documenting things is very, very important. If you want to take a vacation, you know, you want to be able to hand over that standard operating procedure, you know, the SOPs to somebody that written document to somebody that somebody can take, and they should be able to do that job, you know, like word for word on what's written on that. So I'd say like just documenting everything is is very, very important. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Now, I also want to make sure we learn about uh, Resimply, your, your software business and, and what you're doing with it, because it sounds like you, from what I understand, you kind of built this software company for yourself first or with your own business in mind and and you know, tell us
0: about it. Yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. So I, I, so, I mean, that's another good thing that came out if I hadn't moved away from Chicago, you know, to California, I don't think I would have started the software company it was like a really a personal need where once I moved away and I still had, you know, project manager, acquisition manager, we were doing marketing, we were managing all these projects. And then I started looking at all the different software that I would have to use to manage my one business. And it would, and then the other challenge was these software, different software were not speaking with each other, you know? Uh, so that was a challenge. So we started, okay, you know what? I'm just going to build something for myself, very simple version that I'll use in my business. Um, and I'll, I'll just create it, you know? So I started working on it and we didn't even like actually form the company for about a year and a half after I started working on it. So the goal was just, I just want to create something for myself that I can use it, my team can use it. Once I started using it, then I was part of a couple of masterminds. I showed it to some other people that, oh, this is cool. Can I use it? So it kind of grew from there. But the whole point, the purpose was I I want everybody on my team to be working from one software and then it's very data driven. So even if I'm not in the area, I can make decisions based on the numbers because, you know, people lie, numbers never lie. So I want to be able to decision based on the actual numbers rather than somebody's gut feeling or opinion about you know a house or something Mm.
1: so it, it comes down to bringing in your uh bringing in potential deals evaluating them and then making a decision about whether or not to to do them and and really systematizing a lot or or all of that process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's one part of it. Or if we're flipping a house, right? I want to be able to look at in real time, how much money we spend, like what was our scope of work for a project, how much money we've actually spent and then on the marketing side of it, you know, which is a big part of our business. We do a lot of marketing to generate leads. How many leads did I get? You know, what lead source did I get the leads from? So I want to know if you're spending, Under two hundred thousand dollars in marketing every year, which marketing is actually working? You know, is it better for me to make million dollars in gross revenue and only have hundred thousand dollars in net, or is it better for me to only make nine hundred thousand dollars in gross revenue and make actually three hundred thousand dollars because I've become really, really efficient with my marketing and other business expenses. So that's that's a big part of, you know, you know, the, the amount of data that we're able to analyze and then make uh decisions based on the
1: data. So how many deals I mean you might even know this uh have this piece of data. How many deals do you evaluate versus the number that you do? Like what's the actual rate?
0: Uh I would say now, you know, we're a little bit more picky about deals. Um uh, you know initially when I started out it was analyzing on lots and lots of deals, you know, because you're getting started, you know, you just want to get comfortable, you know, buying your like first few houses. Like the first house I remember, it was listed on the market for $65,000 to a unit. And I was just so scared. I made an offer of 20,000. I'm like, you know what, what's the worst that's going to happen? Somebody's going to say no, right? Uh, so I made an offer of twenty thousand, and I mean, you know, after back and forth, we ended up buying it for like twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> so like that was my thought process going in. It's it's changed from that, you know. Obviously, market is also a lot different. So now, you know, we you know for the most part we know right off the bat if somebody's asking like two hundred thousand dollars for a house and they have a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage, but the house is only worth one seventy five, so we're not even gonna waste our time on it. That said, like we're still uh, would we would still go on like let's say ten appointments or like eight, eight or nine appointments before we get a property under contract. Uh, So we're like analyzing, you know, once it gets to appointments, say that's kind of when we're doing our analysis. And so let's say on the high end, like 10 properties that we analyze and then, you know, we make an offer and get accepted.
1: Mm, Okay. Now for our listeners out there who, you know, think they want to get into the flipping business, I want to throw this uh, thought experiment at you so uh, you're in Toronto, Canada now, your project manager is in California, your uh, properties are in Northwest Indiana, Indiana. What if, uh, you know, it comes down from on high, some greater power says you can't do deals in Northwest Indiana anymore, or the greater Chicago area, you got to pick another market. That means another team, everything. Can you walk us through what you would do, given those conditions, you can't do it there anymore, you got to rebuild this business right. somewhere else. How do you pick that market uh, and then what do you do? Sure. I would I would start somewhere in Midwest, maybe Ohio.
0: Ohio seems like a good market, you know. And I would be uh I, I would want to be close to a major city, uh, you know, like Columbus, Ohio, Toledo, you know, maybe or Cincinnati. It's one of the cities. Then I would want to look at what's the what's the median home price. I would want to be around the median, uh, not high end, not low end, like around that, you know, those houses. South- and then I would want to have, I want to look at some houses, uh, some, like some properties where I could have multiple exit strategies. Like, for example, you know, in my market in Northwest Indiana, we're, we're, you know, for the most part, we're around $200,000 price point, some higher, some lower, but you know, our, our ideal house would be $175,000 to $2,000 price, $200,000 price point. Now, with that house, I have a few different exits. We could do retail fix and flip. We could do turnkey and we could also keep it as a rental property because it makes sense. So I would want to look at some houses where I get multiple exits. For example, I would not want to buy a $500,000 house because I cannot sell that as a turnkey. I cannot keep it as a rental. I only have one exit strategy with that house. So I would want to be in that you know, median home price, like 150 and 250 on the high end. Because then, with that price point, you can do a couple of different things. So, that's what I would want to look at. That's would.
1: Sorry, I want to clarify that. That would be your ARV target? Yes, ARV. Sorry.
0: Yeah, sorry. That's the ARV. So, our purchase price would be, uh, you know, 30, 40% lower than that, depending on the repair. But, yes. So, thank you for correcting that. So, 150 to 250 on the high end, ideally 150, 200 is the price point I would want to be at depending on how much the house can rent for and, you know, a couple of other things. Uh, but assuming if I can get close to 1% in monthly rent, you know, if it's $150,000, which in most markets in sub uh, in Midwest, you should be able to get about $1,500, $1,600 a month. In, and then those would be like absolutely no-brainer houses for us. So I would I would start with that and then go up to two hundred, dollars and really push 250 dollars on a high end uh, for myself. And then I would look at, um, then I would start and look at a uh, list of, I would pull a list of distressed houses, you know, based on people who have equity, some other criteria, like they might be absentee homeowners, a property might be vacant, they might be going through some other uh, <clears throat> need to sell their house, like they might be going through a pre-foreclosure, they might have a lien on the property. And then from there, I would market to them through direct mail, which tends to work best for us. Uh, and then couple. A lot of other investors that we talked to, like direct mail tends to be very consistent. It's a long term play. Uh, then I would do direct mail to them uh, and then just have a good system in place to convert as many leads as possible into deals. So,
1: so I hope that helps. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In that, um, I think that system question is important do you for example in those direct mail pieces what's the call to action what do you have them do do you ha- ask them to call you do you ask them to call somebody okay. else
0: yeah so so that's yeah that's a great question so what we do is on our marketing pieces it's very very important like if you if you're changing some variable in your marketing piece You want to be able to track, you know, where that lead is coming from or what triggered them to call, you know, was it a specific list they were on, was it a specific marketing piece? So we would use a dedicated number, which, you know, we do recently, like we would have a dedicated number for, let's say, direct mail if I'm mailing to vacant houses, for example. So if I'm mailing to vacant houses, I would have a dedicated number for my direct mail for vacant houses. Anybody calls back, then we would use announcing service like Call Porter, for example, you know, uh, and then they would take the initial call they would screen the call, uh, ask some qualifying question. And if it's a good lead, then I would have somebody on my team work on that lead. But initial call, I would not take. But again, for people starting out, it depends, you know, um, a lot of investors that we work with, they might have a full-time nine to five job, but they want to get into the real estate game, but they don't have time to take the call. So that's where something like announcing service, like call photo comes in, perfect. You know, they take the calls from, you know, While you're at work nine to five, and if, you know, once and after hours, if you want to take the call, start to the sellers, then you can have it drafted to yourself. And once they take the initial call and it becomes a lead, it's, you know, somebody that's actually interested in selling their house, the house fits a couple of other criteria that you have. At that point, I would have somebody in my team, like, start working on it. But if I'm starting out initially, when I was, then I would work on that lead myself. I would go on an appointment. There's, There's nothing... You know, even if initially, even if somebody has a house, $100,000 house, they want $100,000 for it, and it has a $100,000 mortgage, I would still go on an appointment initially, because what happens is, like, you're building a process, right? When you initially go, you might go to a house, and, um, you know, in Midwest, modern markets have basements. So you might go to a house, you know, you're not going to buy this house, because the numbers don't make sense. But it's still good to just get that initial fear out of your mind, you know, like the anxiety that you have about meeting these, you know, random homeowners. And then just build a process, you know, for example, you might walk a house, you might come out, you're like, Oh, shit, I forgot to walk through the basement. Ah. And basement could be very expensive, you know, expensive access, you know, what if the wall is pouring in, you know, that could be a pretty major expense, like we used to buy a house, a lot of houses from foreclosure auction, people houses that were going in foreclosure, and we could not get into the houses. So that's a risk we have to factor in. But then we build a process for that. But if I'm going meeting a homeowner, then I would want to have a process. Okay, next time, then I would add that to my checklist. Okay, first house I went, I forgot to look at the basement. Now it's in my checklist. If there's a basement, make sure you walk through the basement. So you start documenting that. And then now as your business scales, you can just literally give that checklist to somebody else and say, hey, job, is, make sure you fill this checklist out. That's it, you
1: know? Mm, okay. So now you're at the point okay. where, okay, we got the process. we find a find a house. We have to fix it up. Do you... Go in the yellow pages to find a, a general contractor to look at it, or or how do you get that started when you you know, don't have a contractor team already built? Yeah,
0: so I would go to I start at a local REA meeting uh, and just talk to other investors who are uh, you know maybe not somebody not somebody who is doing lots of deals because they might have their contractor busy, but let's say if you you know you're starting or doing one or two deals a year, then you might want to. Partner up with somebody who's doing another one or two deals, and then you can you can ask them, hey, do you know a good contractor? How about, you know, we give two projects to this contractor and try to get a better price for both of us. So that's one way of doing that. But I would start out at the local area and try to get referrals. Um, or other thing is look at uh, look at some of the houses that other investors investors have sold in your area. Right, go back to the local building department and find out which contractor pulled the permit and then reach out to those contracts. If you know their house looked really nice, it sold really quick on the market. So, you know, you know, that contractor must have done a good job. So then I would, you know, that's a little bit longer process, but then you would get some really good information of the houses that are flipped in your market, you know, find out who pulled the permit and just reach out to them directly.
1: That is creative. I actually have not heard that one before. That is good.
0: Yeah. yeah, We've tried it. Yeah. We've,
1: uh, or, or you can
0: just, if, if, there's a work going on, you know, drive around the neighborhood, there's like so many flips going on. Uh, you know, you could see a building permit, Building permit usually has, you know, who's working, who owns the property, which contractor is going to work on it. So you can get that information. You know, if you see, if you see like a, a, a construction, you know, contractor van, you know, just write down their number, uh, ask them to make sure you always, always check the references. That's another thing. One other thing. Uh, so now we let our contractor buy the own materials, their own materials, just to like, you know, we pay a little bit more, but it's like much more streamlined process for us. But before, when we used to buy our own materials at Home Depot, we were like one of the largest buyer at our local Home Depot. So one other thing to do is like go to the local Home Depot and go to the ProDesk and ask somebody at ProDesk, which contractor would you recommend somebody that's coming in day in, day out and it's consistent, you know, comes early in the morning, because you know that person shows up on time. You know, I ask the people at ProDes, they would be they would be very, very, very helpful in helping you find a good contractor.
1: Interesting. Those are all awesome ideas. That's creative too. You know, that's that's yeah. different.
0: Yeah. Oh, everything that we've tried, you know, used to, to get our contractors. So now we work with the. We've been working the same contractor for four years now, and I've never met any one of them personally. <laughs> I've never talked to any one of them personally. Uh, Now, we've gotten it to the point where for my project manager, I have a separate bank account set up. So I just transfer money into that bank account and she writes all the checks from it. I don't even write any checks. I don't do any payment. I just transfer into that. And she's the one who's talked to our project manager. I mean, our contractors, plumbers, electrician that I've never talked. Even if they were in front of me, I would have no idea that, you know, they work on one of our jobs. Which is how I would want it, you know, just like very, very systemized at this point.
1: Yeah, and and hands off so that it can run without you there. It does run absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. One of the craziest closings I've
0: done is my dad used to live in Tanzania, uh, so I I even started a business in Tanzania, used clothing business. We used to export, no jokes, we used to export used clothing from US and Canada to Tanzania because people can't afford to buy uh, new, you know, new clothes, new, new clothes. Mm-hmm. Levi's jeans were like just these hot commodity, by the way, for anybody that's donating their growth. Uh, so we started, uh, so I went there, I went to Tanzania uh, a few times. So this one crazy closing that I did was uh, we were, you know, I, I went with my family, we were on this African safari in the middle of Serengeti and I had to, I had to close on a deal and we went to a local notary in Tanzania <laughs> to close the deal, scan the paper. That was like the craziest closing that I did. But, but it was only possible because we had everything systemized to, you know, uh, at this point. Now at this point, even like, I don't even sign any sell site closing documents because I live in Canada and then I've, I've given power of attorney to somebody in my team. They just go sign the closing documents. Title company already knows where to wire the money. Uh, I just look at the final, hut to make sure everything looks good. And then they go sign and that's it. Wow.
1: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we've given everybody the formula to build a passive, sort of passive, almost entirely passive, flipping, remote flipping business. We're going to move on to the next part of the show. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk, because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called GroundFloor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry, they make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the Ground Floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com groundfloor ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Sherrod, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right, great. First one: What is the best investment you ever made, other than in your education? Oh, uh, I wholesaled
0: a house, uh, it was a, ten, uh, not a house. It was a ten—not a house. It was a ten-unit uh, property, and we—and and I made almost hundred thousand on it. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was the best deal. It's wow. been—it's been a while, but yeah, that was—I yeah, I haven't been able to top that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Nice, profitable. Yeah, Yeah. we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin. Hopefully, it's not the same magnitude. What is the worst (laughs) investment you ever made?
0: Uh, Worst was where we lost uh, about 20,000 on a deal. Uh, I think we bought in an area that we were not super familiar with. We took on a project that was like way too big for what we wanted to deal with and we worked with a new crew that we didn't have full confidence in and we ended up losing 20,000 on that deal mm-hmm. so that was that was painful that was a couple of years ago
1: mm-hmm. so just uh, yeah. knowing the area better would have Absolutely. made a difference
0: yeah yep yeah i think we we went a little bit outside of our comfort not comfort zone but like the, the area that we were you know familiar with and then just kind of speculated a bit on that deal and lost 20,000 on it mm-hmm.
1: My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: Oh, I would say like, uh, speaking of like the worst investment that I had, I would say the most important thing is just be better at one thing than anybody else. Just pick your one thing and be better at it than anybody else. You know, it's just like, that's what we do on our flipping business with our software company, with our property management, rental business, everything. Just pick a one thing. Everything outside of that is noise. We just want to pick this and be better at it than anybody else. And then anything outside of it, like just completely ignore the shiny object.
1: I love that. Yeah. I it's I get shiny object syndrome myself. Oh man, I have it's to be hard. aware
0: of it. I it's hard. It's hard, but that's something I have to keep reminding myself. Just just, try, just stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Don't worry about anything else. Just stay in your lane. I love that.
1: Well, yeah. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. You and I have been on the line for almost two hours, not obviously, know. you know, a lot of it yeah. not recorded. If folks want to uh, reach out, if they want to track you down, if they want to learn more about your software business or anything mm-hmm. like that, where can they find you?
0: Absolutely, man. So they can go to resimply.com, R E S I M P L I.com. I don't know if they're watching the Video recording video right there
1: YouTube. Yeah,
0: yeah, so resimply.com with an I R E S R E S -S I M P L I dot com, and they can contact me from there. Any contact form or any call, if it's for me, it gets routed to me. So I'll, I'll talk and I answer those personally.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much because that helps other people learn about the show. Because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. We'll catch you here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.